know, another great father in the Lord was the Apostle Paul. He had a great son in the Lord named Timothy who pastored a church. And uh, he shared some uh, great advice with him. And we're going to look at it this morning in 1 Timothy 6, verses 17 through 19. Read along with me. Teach those who are rich in this world not to be proud, good advice, and not to trust in their money, which is so unreliable. Their trust should be in God, who richly gives us all we need for our enjoyment. Tell them to use their money to do good. They should be rich in good works and generous to those in need, always being ready to share with others. By doing this, they will be storing up their treasure as a good foundation for the future so that they may experience true life. Good words. How many have enjoyed the last uh, five weeks? If you're brand new today, I'd encourage you to go back to our archive and listen to our last series that we just finished on the book of Philippians. And we talked about being a community of joy and generosity. How many uh, remember that? And I know for me, that has both challenged me it has kind of convicted me. Anybody felt some conviction over the last few weeks? And it also compelled me to kind of take a deeper look at my own life and how I give and how I think about my resources and how I think about my life. And I want to read a couple more scriptures for you. Another one from, the, uh, from Paul is in the book of Acts, verse 20, or chapter 20, verses 32 through 35. Read along with me. Now I entrust you to God, and he's speaking this to some elders. These are his last words to them. They're in the city of Ephesus, and these are his last thoughts to them, and so they're very important. I entrust you to God and the measure of his grace that is able to build you up and give you an inheritance with all those he has set apart for himself. I have never coveted anyone else's silver or gold or fine clothes. You know that these hands of mine have worked to supply my own needs and even the needs of those who were with me. And I have been a constant example. That's a pretty good testimony. I've been a constant example of how you can help those in need by working hard. You should remember the words of the Lord Jesus. It is more blessed to give than to receive. And let's hear from Jesus himself in Matthew 6, verses 19 through 21. Don't store up treasures here on earth where moths eat them and rust destroys them and where thieves break in and steal. Store your treasures in heaven where moths and rust cannot destroy and thieves don't break in and steal. Wherever your treasure is, there the desires of your heart will also be where your treasure is. You know, I love Christmas. You've heard that. You've seen that over all the years that we've been here. And I love to give gifts. Right now in my house, uh, I am one of Amazon's favorite customers because I have become uh, what is known as an online Christmas shopper. I shop from the convenience of my easy chair with my iPad. Uh, my kids give me their list. I even have my kids doing their own shopping. Jake and Bethany, Jake is notorious for picking his own presents, and then he brings them, and, and I wrap them. And usually it's a piece of software, and I ask him, I say, Jake, did you use this? And he kind of rolls his eyes, and, well, you know, I had to make sure it worked. Jake, 
but you know, it's been years and I still let him get away with it. But I have this lovely wrapping station in my house and I'm having so much fun wrapping. Right now I'm behind. I have about one third of the gifts wrapped under the tree and I'm ready to hit the other ones. But you know, giving is fun for me. It really is something that I enjoy doing. And there's a term in baseball. I know baseball because my husband is a sports fanatic and I've watched a few baseball games with him and it's called the sweet spot. How many know what a sweet spot is? Okay, I see a few of you. Some of you guys were in first service, so you're cheating because I told you. But a sweet spot is when that, that, bat, that baseball player, he gets in there, he grabs his bat, he's watching, and right at that perfect place where the ball comes, it intersects perfectly with the bat. There's a crack. That's not really a crack sound. Anybody have a good crack sound? That sounds really like an egg breaking. But a crack, and it goes flying over into the home run zone. Everyone's cheering, and he has just hit his sweet spot. You know, for each of us, we have a sweet spot in our life that God has called us to. It's a gift. It's a grace area. It's something that we're good at. It's something that makes our hearts sing. It's something that when, (coughs) excuse me, we exercise it, people's lives are touched. And as we've been looking at this series on being generous, a phrase came to my heart, and we're going to be looking at it over the next few weeks, and it's a question that I ask myself, do I live to give? Have I found my sweet spot in those areas of life where I'm gifted, where I have resource, where I'm capable and able to give into the lives of others, and am I doing that with all my heart, my soul, my strength? Today we're going to look at three lives from history. I love biographies. How many are with me? You like to read biographies? Look, if you don't, I just encourage you. It's a great way to encourage yourself. Look at great people's lives. But we're going to look at three lives in history that found their sweet spot. They found that thing that God had put them on this earth for, and they identified it, and they began to pursue it, and out of their life came such a a sacrifice of giving and love, and that was so beautiful that so many lives were changed. And I hope today, just kind of getting to the end before we get there, that God is going to stir our hearts, and that this season, something is going to be deposited in our heart, and we are going to be those that are just excited about giving and letting the life of God flow out of us in many ways, but especially in that place where God has gifted us. The first couple that I want to talk about are two of my favorite people, William and Catherine Booth. I put both of their pictures here so you can see that they looked, uh, they did have a young life. They looked a little better in the first picture. I kind of like the second picture. That kind of shows you he lived a little bit of life there with that beard and a hat. But they were a lovely uh, two young people, both of them raised in Methodist families. They were raised in church. And uh, William's family had had some money at one time in their life, but they were going through some poorer times. And he actually ended up having to become a pawnbroker's apprentice. That would be kind of an interesting job. Uh, But that was not his sweet spot. That was not his passion. And so he would go out and he began his heart and where his heart uh, really longed to touch were in the very poor areas of East London. He would go into the places where the, the thieves were, where the gamblers were, where the prostitutes were, where the derelicts and alcoholics were. And he would go and he would preach and he would meet needs. And he just began to just do that on his own. Uh, Catherine actually heard him preaching on al- against alcoholism. And the rest is history. She fell in love with this fiery preacher. And she was a pretty fiery preacher of her, of her, on her own. Some people say that she was actually the, the better communicator of the two. But both of them were passionate about taking the life and the love of Jesus Christ that he had given them and taking it to those people and those places that were some of the darkest of that day. 
It was interesting because um, William never took a salary from the ministry that he started. People would give him donations so that he and his family could live. But he so poured his life out. And some of the things that he began to accomplish, he would go and where the prostitutes were at one time, and he was actually one of the first people to come against the um, sex trafficking movement in the, of the 1800s. They had prostitutes, young girls that were sold into prostitution between age 13 and 16. He raised over 380,000 signatures in that time, went to the legislators of that day and, and put out legislation that stopped that prostitution. That's pretty powerful. As he began to start his work, at first he only had a few people that kind of grabbed with him. Maybe he had about 10. It took him about four years, and he still only had about 10 people working with him. He would come in many times from the streets, and he would be bedraggled. He would literally sometimes be bloody because he had been beaten up by people that, were, that didn't want to hear his message, even though he was trying to help them. The wealthier people kind of mocked him, like, what are you doing with your life? But within a few short years, he had 1,000 people that were beginning to help him. He had 41 full-time evangelists that were going out into the streets because, see, they didn't just meet urgent needs. They would share the gospel of Jesus Christ as they did that because they understood that that's how lives were changed. He started a ministry that was called the Christian Mission, and we, don't, uh, we wouldn't know that very well. But if you know what, it eventually the name changed. It was the Salvation Army. How many have heard of the Salvation Army? Today, over 30 million people a year are helped. They, they put uh, people, allow, have beds for people that don't have a place to sleep, over 10 or 11 million a year. They serve about 55 million meals to hungry people in over 130 nations. All because two people found their sweet spot and said, I am going to live to give. You know, it's interesting because when you read the motto of the Salvation Army today, and I went and read it, they actually say that their, their vision is not just to meet urgent needs. That's part of it. They want to meet needs of all those that are, that are in need and without discrimination. But this is what they say. Their goal is to share the gospel of Jesus Christ and to meet needs in the name of Jesus for all those that are hurting and hungry without discrimination. That's powerful. What's our lesson that we can learn from William and Catherine? If you can go to the slide. Lives are changed when we give. Lives are changed. You know, maybe inside of you is not the Salvation Army, but you know, God puts dreams and visions. Or put my hand, move my hand up the mic. I can do that. Lives are changed when we give. Lives are changed when we have a dream. And, you know, God may be dropping some dreams in your heart of ways that you can meet urgent needs, that you can see lives change because you live to give. My next favorite person has a great name, and actually my, our precious grandson was named after him, John Wesley. And uh, he, how many have heard of John Wesley, the great evangelist? Uh, I, he's one of my favorite people. Uh, he had a tremendous ministry. Uh, actually, they say that because of his commitment to Jesus Christ, there was a revolution around the time of his life in, in France that was called the French Revolution, and people were getting their heads cut off. There was tremendous violence and bloodshed. But John Wesley and his brother and their team began to spread the gospel even into the poor, and they began to have revolution and change in the social economic area, but without bloodshed. And secular historians, not just Christian uh, history books, but secular historians say that that it was John Wesley's ministry that they believe actually caused the revolution to not have the same uh, bloody effects that happened in France. That's pretty powerful. 
Now, he didn't start that way. John Wesley was born into a pastor's home. They were very poor. His mother, Susanna Wesley, another hero of mine, had 19 children. 19 children that she homeschooled. One of my favorite stories about her is that when she uh, needed time, she did this every day, she would sit in her chair, throw her apron up over her head, and her kids knew that was the signal, leave me alone, I'm praying. Having quiet, I don't know what she was doing in there. I, she might have been, uh, I, who knows? With 19 children, I might not be praying, okay? But uh, she, she loved her kids. And on that day, you know, as many of you know, there was a lot of sickness. And so actually nine of her children died uh, while they were still infants. About eight actually survived. John Wesley himself was actually in the burning house and had to leap out to be saved. But uh, his father was very poor. And actually John watched his father be walked out of their house and go to debtor's prison. And Susanna was left with all of the children, the church, the ministry, everything. And she had to carry on until someone had mercy on them and basically got uh, the dad out of debtor's prison. So we don't know if John Wesley thought that was going to be his lot in life, but what he decided to do is he got an education. He actually became a professor at Oxford University and was actually making kind of a, a fairly good living. He was making about 30 pounds uh, at that time, and uh, he would spend his money on some really awesome things, playing cards, tobacco, and brandy. So I think this was pre his real conversion. But I want to tell you of an incident that changed his life and set him on a course of generosity uh, that, that would really change the course of history. He had just finished paying for some pictures for his room, some artwork, and a chambermaid knocked on the door, and he noticed that she was in a very thin, kind of a linen uh, dress, and it was incredibly cold. And so he reached into his pocket, good Christian man that he was, to pull out some cash so that he could buy, hopefully give her some money to get a coat. And when he pulled out his money, he realized he didn't have enough to give her because he had spent it on all the pictures that he had just put into his room. And it, it cut his heart. He actually, and this is not a message that tells you do not put anything on the wall. Uh, you can still have pictures. But it says, will the master say, well done, good and faithful steward? Thou hast adorned thy walls with the money which might have screened this poor creature from the cold. O justice, O mercy, are not these pictures the blood of this poor maid? He was so challenged that he made a statement, and we'll look at it in a minute, but he believed that when you became a Christian, that you were called to tithe, that you were called to give. But that above that, he felt that you should not raise your standard of living as much as your standard of giving. And he, at, one, at that point, was making 30, uh, about 30 uh, pounds. He, he lived on 28, and he gave two. The next year, he made 60. How much do you think he lived on? 28, and he gave 32. The next year, he made 90. He lived on 28 and gave the rest. And he did that constantly through his life. He built homes for widows. He, I mean, just a profound amount of giving that he did. At one point, he had about 1,400 pounds that he was actually bringing in through his ministry, and he still lived at about 30 pounds. Why? Because he understood that everything he had had come from God. And that sweet spot for him was in meeting the urgent needs of the people around him with the gospel, with the transforming message of Jesus Christ, and also with real life resources to help them. It's pretty powerful. To do this, he asked himself a few questions. And I'd like to read them to you because in this lesson that we learned from him, again, as I mentioned earlier, what should rise is not a Christian standard of living but his standard of giving. Listen to these questions that he would ask himself. In spending this money, am I acting like I owned it 
or am I acting like the Lord's trustee? What scripture requires me to spend this money in this way? Can I offer up this purchase as a sacrifice to the Lord? Will God reward me for this expenditure at the resurrection of the just? And then he had a prayer, which I'm not going to read right now, but a, a prayer that he would pray over his spending. And at the end of that prayer, he would know what he was to do. You know, I had an experience. I am not known as the, the most saving person. I am not the best saver. I am more of a spender. How many are more spenders than savers in this room? Okay. So um, I was working on a finance class for the church. I was typing it out. I probably was not the best person to be doing it because I was being, but I was being very convicted as I was typing out the class. And as I was going through, this phrase came to me that really has changed my life, and it was very similar to these questions that John Wesley asked. The phrase was, every spending decision is a spiritual decision. I remember reading that and just, it hit me. And I was like, every, not just my tithe check, not just the offerings that I give, but literally every dollar that, I, that comes, every hour that I have, every bit of resource in my life, when I figure out how to spend it, it's not my own life that I'm spending. It's the, it's the life that God gave me, and it's a spiritual decision. That's, that's kind of life-changing. That's how John Wesley lived. And, I, you know, I, I love to go on vacations. I love to eat well and all those things. But <coughs> I've really come to believe that I have to be willing to ask this question and say, God, is my life my own? Or is my life yours? Am I here to just spend my life in any way I want? My money, my resources, my time, my energy? Or am I here on this life for a purpose? Do I, have you planted me? Have you created me? What's the sweet spot that you put in me? You know, when I was younger, I wanted to be a Broadway star. I wanted to be Julie Andrews. I really thought I could, I thought I could do it. I was the sound of music and I would sing. And that was my heart. And then I, when I was going to go to college, I thought I was going to be a nurse. And so I was accepted into a school that had a nursing program. But as I really cried out to God, I realized that was not my sweet spot. That God had called me and put a heart cry in me to, to be a, a pastor's wife, to teach, to love, and, be, and give my life for a community. And so when Steve and I came to Medford, we didn't come here with kind of like a, well, you know, we're going to give it six months and see what happens. We didn't come here with, well, we're going to give like 10% of our life and then 90% is going to be ours. No, we came and we said, God, everything we have is yours. Our time, our energy, our money. <clears throat> and we're going to give our lives to you. And, you know, uh, we haven't done a perfect job, and we haven't, you know, I'm not saying we've given every single thing we have, but we have lived our life, I really believe, with that question. And can I tell you what? The joy that we have experienced from it is so awesome. You know, when you give your life and you say, I'm going to be spent for the cause of God, it is such a powerful thing. You know, our world is so selfish. There's so many things that we, we just cling to. I was reading an article talking about for our children just how difficult it is. Because, you know, when, I, when, when, when there wasn't television and all the advertising, all your kids knew was, you know, I could have a train or I could. But now they're just bombarded with, give me, give me, give me. You know, my name is Jimmy. Hopefully your name is not Jimmy. But they're so bombarded and everything is about what I can, what I can consume and what I can heap onto myself. And these people that we're talking about, they lived and they said, you know what? That's not what makes my heart sing. They lived lives and said, I am here to give. Now, I want to read my last person. And I, he's probably 
My favorite is I did the studying on him. He's a guy by the name of R.G. Letourneau. How many have heard of him? <coughs> a few hands go up. If you've heard of him, the thing that we normally hear is that he came to a point in his life where he was literally giving 90% of his income and living on 10%. It's pretty powerful. But he didn't start there. He started out as kind of a poor farm boy. He only had a seventh grade education, but he had a really, uh, he had an acumen for engineering and for, uh, for creating uh, inventions, specifically in the area of earth-moving equipment. He would go on to have about 300 patents, about 300 inventions. Later in his life, he would actually be given an honorary engineering degree uh, because of just the great skill that he had in those areas. And they actually say that he was so skilled in this area, in the machines, the earth-moving machines that he created, that they say that he actually was part of the reason that uh, World War, War II was able to uh, be, be won. It was helped by his equipment. And also, the, the highway infrastructure of modern America came because of the inventions that he had. He had a sister who was a missionary, and she, you know, as sisters do, decided that she was going to tell him what to do with his life. And she said, you need to get right with God. You need to give your life to God. And so he went to a revival meeting, and he got saved, and he was going to give his life, and he thought, okay, that means I have to be a missionary too. And so he went to his pastor as he was getting ready to go become a missionary, and he went to his pastor, and they prayed. And this is what his pastor said to him. You know, Brother Letourneau, God needs businessmen as well as preachers and missionaries. Letourneau responded, all right, if that's what God wants me to be, I'll be his businessman. He took his business partnership with God seriously, although he felt like God was getting a sorry specimen as a partner. And he began to give and to give, and that generosity began to come because he believed, and our lesson that we're looking at is he believed that you cannot outgive God. You cannot outgive God. And his life demonstrated it. I want to read to you something that he stated. He said, Some people think that I am all mixed up, that you can't serve the Lord in business too, but that's just the point. God needs businessmen as partners as well as preachers. When you go into partnership with God, you've got a partner closer and more active than any human partner you can ever get. He participates fully in everything you let him do. And when you start putting on airs and think you're doing it with your own head of steam, he can set you down quicker and harder than a thunderbolt. There's nothing dull about being in partnership with God. This was his perspective. The question is not how much of my money I can give to God, but rather how much of God's money I'm going to keep for myself. Pretty powerful. Sweet spots. Those that ministered out in the derelict, to the derelicts in the east end of London, a circuit-riding preacher, a businessman, an engineer, looking in this room, I don't know what your occupation is. I don't know what the call that God has on your life, but what I do know is that every single one of us and every single one of you has been given a gift by God. He has created you specifically for a purpose. He has, you have a sweet spot. You know, today, just as a, a plug, if you come to Growth Track, we're gonna, you're going to take some tests that help you identify what your personality is and where your, where your gifts lie because we want to see you find that place in God where you can serve. You know, some of you are fantastic cooks. Did you know that there's so many ways to bless people with a warm meal? I know for Steve and I, we have people over to our house a lot for dinner or for different things, and, and so many people will tell us, 
We have no heart, we've never really ever sat at a, at a table and had dinner. We've never had, you know, a meal like that. And, and it blesses them. There's no end to what you can do when you do what? When you say, God, my life is not my own. I'm here to give. Let's look at these questions that we can ask ourselves to help us live to give. Number one, do I believe that everything I have came from God? Am I my own or am I created by God? Is everything I have his? And, and like R.G. Letourneau, the more I give, the more God gives back. I can't outgive God because he's such a giver. And that's what the next question leads us to. Do I believe that God lives to give? And if so, is he stingy or is he abundant? I have found that God has met my needs so much. I remember when we came to this city, you know, brand new, married, and no money. We had, I think we had $500 cash when we came to start the church, and we had about $500 in bills. And we, did, we, we went and we called it, and we needed a place to live. And I remember calling around to rentals, and finally one said, we've got one, but it needs to be roofed and painted. And I kind of squealed, oh, my husband can roof it and paint it. And we ended up getting reduced rent. And then we bought a house, and, and we ended up through a series of crazy events paying $25 a month for a mortgage while we were purchasing the home because of some rentals and things that were accompanying with it. You tell me that you can outgive God. You can't. Just when you think you've poured out and you've given, he comes back and goes, gotcha, one up. And he comes back, and it's a, it's a beautiful thing because God is abundant. He's not stingy. He doesn't hold back. He literally lives to give, and he calls us to that. And this next question is a good one. Like the three examples we studied, and this is the question I want to leave with you. How has God specifically gifted you to give? I'm not talking about your tithe. That's just your returning what God has. You know, that's just your returning to God what's his. I'm talking about how you can live to give. What dreams and visions are inside of you? Is there a Salvation Army rumbling around in you? Is there a widow's house? Is there some legislation that God wants you to go after? Is there a widow that God wants you to care for? What is it? As you discover that and you move into that arena where you say, God, I am yours. That's that community of joy and generosity that the church at Philippi was. And that's where it gets fun and it gets exciting and it gets joyful. And where we see the world begin to change. You know, in a minute, we're going to have a, a time just to pray and ask God to help us. But we were talking as a staff about how we could practically kind of put this next month into, into a, a practical action point as we, we learn about living to give. And uh, we have some cards that the ushers are going to be giving you. You can see it up there on the slide at the end of service. And it says this, something extra to show you God loves you. And on the other side, it just says, and so do we, Merry Christmas. And it has our church name. We didn't even put our times and a whole bunch of things. So we didn't want it to seem so much like an advertisement as a, as a blessing. And then they can go to our website for more. But, you know, what are we asking you to do? We're believing that in the next month we can do a thousand acts of kindness. We're asking you. We're going to direct you to our, our uh, Joy web page to, or excuse me, the Facebook page to do a poll. And just when you hand one of these out, let us know. But, but more than the numbers... It's we want to do the acts of kindness and what? Kind of push us into that arena of just living to give. Now, you don't have to do this. This is not, not enforced. But I, I think it's going to be kind of contagious. Do you realize there's about 400 people in our church? That means we all only have to about, do about two, two and a half. 
And I know some of you are going to do about five or eight because I just know you. And uh, so you may only have to do one. But seriously, what are some things we can do? They're going to put up a slide. Well, you know, it's just simple things. Maybe deliver some fresh baked cookies if you're a good baker. Or go buy Chips Ahoy and put them on a fancy dish. And put, a, put this card on it. Maybe you're in line. I, I, was at, I was at a spin coffee one day, and I'm on one window and the other person, and I hand them my card, and they go, your, your, your coffee's been paid for. And I look across, and it was someone from the church, and they waved at me. They were blessing me. Well, how about looking across at a stranger and handing the barista this card with your, with your money for it and saying, would you, their, their, their coffee is paid for. Would you hand them this card as they go? Maybe it's looking at someone, a, a waitress, and maybe not being grumpy, and maybe actually uh, upping your tip by, by a little bit more. If you tip, I hope you tip. I hope, I hope you're the most generous, awesome tippers. Maybe slip a $20 bill to someone that you know is struggling financially. Really, the list is endless. But what's the point? We live to give. We want to do things that cause people to know Jesus. Would you stand with me? In this room today... I know that um, some of you are hearing about this Jesus that lived to give. And I want to tell you that he was a real person that came on this earth. He, he came and he loved us. He gave his life. And I, I don't know about you, but I have, I've had sin in my life. I, I'm a sinner. I've done things that I'm ashamed of. I, and more than just the things I've done, I was separated from God. I had no hope. Like the hope that Roxy talked about. I, I was lost without hope. And I had to come to Jesus and receive the free gift that he gave me of his life and his love. The blood that was shed for me. John 3.16 says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that you and I, whoever believes in him, doesn't have to perish, but can have everlasting life. That's the promise. And, you know, we can give random acts of kindness without, not in the name of Jesus and not with the gospel. And, and they're still good, but they don't have the power that comes when you know Jesus. And you're not only giving someone a cup of water, but you're giving it to them in the name of Jesus. You're giving them life. You're giving them eternal life. You're giving them something that will change their life forever. And I want us just to close our eyes if we could. I want to give an opportunity for you, for everyone in this room, that if you have not received Jesus Christ as your personal Savior, you're, he's not, you're not his partner yet. You haven't entered into that fresh, beautiful life eternal. I want to give you the opportunity today. We're not going to embarrass you. We're going to ask you to raise your hand. We're going to say a prayer with you, and we're going to give an opportunity for you later on to, to connect with us. But we want you to come into contact with this God who loves you more than you can ever imagine. He died for you. He chose you. He wants you. And if that's you and you're saying, I want to know Jesus. I want to receive Jesus into my life. Would you raise your hand right now? Every eye is closed. Would you just raise your hand? We want to pray with you. This is the most important decision you'll make in your life. And this is that entrance point to a life of giving, to a life of surrender, to a life of joy. Is there anybody here that wants to raise their hand today and receive Christ? Awesome. There's been a few hands already. Anyone else? Thank you, Jesus. Can you pray this prayer with me? Can you say, dear Jesus, I need you. I was hopeless without you. I can't save myself. I can't wash away my own sins. I can't remove my own guilt. But you came. You gave your life. 
you shed your blood on the cross to wash away my sin, to pay the debt I couldn't pay, and to restore me to a, a healthy relationship with my Father. I receive you today as my Savior, as my Lord, as my God, and I give my life to you. I love you, and I receive you today in Jesus' name. Amen. Wow, let's just give a shout. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord. I don't know about you, but I want to be a person that has surrendered my life and says, I live to give. If you're, if you're like me and you want to grow in that or you just want to fresh commit to that, would you just raise your hands? I want to pray for you today. I want to pray for myself. You know, it's so easy to just get distracted and get into the selfishness and the craziness of our society and forget that real people need a real touch of love. They need a real touch of someone that says, I, I need Jesus. I was sharing in the first service that we had something put on our Facebook page that someone was at, at In-N-Out and they spilled their, um, they spilled their stuff on the, after they bought it. They spilled it out in the parking lot. And someone came and said, let me replace that and went in and bought their meal and brought it back. And they were so moved. They forgot to get the person's name, but they said, do you go to a church around here? Because they knew that was probably a Christian. And told them it was Joy Church, and so they said, we don't have the name, and the person came running up after service and goes, how did you know? And I said, well, because they put it on the, the website. Just a simple act touched a life. Father, we just lift our hands to you. God, forgive me for so many times of just, just not looking, of just getting so uh, in my own worries and cares and busyness and, and forgetting that there's a world out there that's just longing they're crying out for your love. Lord, like that song we sing, your love is teaching me how to give. Your love is teaching me how to live. And God, your love heals the broken ones. Lord, as we just say yes to you, as we say, God, we're here to live, to give. We want to be like you. You gave us everything we have, and we want to pour out our life. And we know we can't outgive you, but we're going to sure try. And God, as we even with, in a natural way, Go out with acts of kindness and begin to touch our community. Lord, I pray that it will set off a revolution of love. Lord, a revolution of the, the precious love of Jesus Christ being poured out in our city. God, that people will be drawn to you because they see that you care about them and the place that they are. God, we thank you. We cry out, God, for hearts to be transformed. Lord, let us be modern-day William and Catherine Booths. Let us be modern-day John Wesley's. Let us be modern-day R.G. Laternals in the sweet spot, in the gift area that you have called us. God, thank you for pastors and teachers and evangelists. But thank you, God, for grocery store owners and lawyers and doctors and teachers and gardeners. Lord, for daycare workers, God, for what everything represented, contractors, God, painters and plumbers. God, giving our life surrendered to you, pouring out our life. Come, Holy Spirit. Let's, let's just thank the Lord. God, just thank you. We love you. We want to be anointed, God, with love for you. 